Hey everyone, this is John from pureandsimplebible.com. How are you doing today? Last time I started an interview with Bradley Ballard about answering the Lord's call to serve. Sometimes it can be locally, and other times it may be taking a leap of faith and moving to a new place. This week we're going to continue that conversation. It's a great opportunity for you and me to walk in the shoes of someone who's answered the call in an international way. Bradley is also a gifted songwriter, and I want to share one of my favorite songs that he's written. In fact, I think it is my favorite song. It's called Looking Up, and I invite you to take a listen with me now. Looking up are you You know, there's a lot that I would like to say about that song, but we've got some time devoted to it at the end of this interview where Bradley will get to explain some of the message to us. And so for now, let's jump right back into the interview with Bradley Ballard. We we were segueing from your analogy of making room in the vineyard or making room in the, the Lord's field by getting rid of some plants so that other plants can grow. There is a lot of experience and theory about church growth, church development, but part of moving to a foreign country is is planting that church, I guess establishing the congregation. This may be difficult to sum up in just a few points, but I'm wondering if you could try to tell me some of the, the maybe the top three factors for establishing a congregation anywhere around the world. What's it going to take for a church to succeed? I hate to presume that my answers are even the right ones, but all I can share with you is what I have learned. And I think the, the first two things that come to mind uh, are, one, you have to have, I think probably the first one people would think of is you've got to have the people to go. You've got to have people go who are committed and who are, aren't going to get there and two weeks in or a few days or months and say, you know what, this isn't really what we signed up for, so let's go home. I think in in some ways it's like a marriage. When you know that divorce is not an option for you, then you're you you're giving it all you got, and you're committed 100%. I feel like in doing a work like this, if you know, I won't say it's not that you don't know that failure isn't an option because the fact of the matter is you might fail, but if bailing out is not an option, you've got people. Who, if you've got people who are working on their home turf and fighting for their home and their faith and their convictions, and I think you're going to have more success than if people are just going to see how this thing works. But there's also 
a way in which I think a lot of people might be suited to a work like this, but like me, they never, they're either never the ones considered or they never considered themselves. I never considered myself until sitting on that hearth with you and you saying, Hey, <laughs> want to come? And so, you know, I did not fit the profile of the, you know, the full-time evangelist. I, so someone who is able to faithfully hold down a job, faith, uh, able to faithfully um, fulfill the roles of husband and father and friend and companion. Uh, those are the types of things that I think a work like this needs. You know, above all, we have to have a solid faith and the ability to depend on God's word. But um, stepping out in faith, even if you don't look like what you think an evangelist looks like, um, can be a powerful tool. And uh, I hope I hope that people will maybe sit up and take notice of that as much as anything. Amen. Takes a little bit of grit, um, right? I think another thing you have to have are, you know, those coordinating brethren, those supporting brethren back in the States to be kind of a, I don't want to say a safety net, uh, logistical counselors, uh, people who can counsel with their wisdom from their own experience. And even though, you know, as you and I learned, as you know, we were both younger men when we moved to Cambodia, and there were much older, much more experienced men in the faith uh, back in the States, they weren't the ones there. And so there was an interesting balance of us looking to them and them looking to us. And so there had to be that relationship and that um, respect, I think, for, for one another, respect that we have for one another, and I think even more importantly, the respect that we all share for the authority of God's Word and that that kindred devotion and that, um, that sharing of a conviction that we have um, you know, makes it where we can we can work well together, and uh, so I think I think that commitment for those going, and the commitment by those sending, those are two really important parts that you have to have. Um, let's t- maybe take a little bit lighter for a moment. We've had some pretty heavy questions. <laughs> in your experience in Cambodia, you guys lived there from about June 2014 through June 2016. Is that correct? Um, yes, give me some highlights from living there. You know, what are some things that you'll will be some of the best memories for the rest of your life from living in Cambodia? That of all the bullet points that you sent me to consider, this is one of the ones I've struggled with the most, <laughs> oddly enough, because Cambodia became a part of who I am. You know, the the relationship that I have with Wani and with his wife and family, the respect that I have for him, the the time spent out in the provinces that were successful, the time spent that were utter failures, <laughs> you know, it, it, it truly it changed who I am and how I look at the work and how I look at myself and the world. Um, in preparing for Cambodia, Brandy was the one, <laughs> she's the one that I tasked with finding our hotel where we would stay. And uh, to me, it was just a matter of looking at reviews, picking a spot and going with it. But she really, really struggled and labored with that, not because she could find a place, but because she wanted to find the right place. And she was very convinced and convicted that her decision about where we would stay had great, had the potential to be a very impact, impactful or serious decision. We prayed about it and picked a spot. And uh, as you know, uh, it was at the hotel where we stayed 
that uh, our brother Wani Chan was the restaurant manager, and uh, the you know the providence of all this, and just how you see God using seemingly meaningless decisions, and taking those and using them as an opportunity to not only bring people together but help start the the Lord's church in that place. You know, getting to meet Wani. And through our, our time and work and labor with him and through his own personal convictions and commitment, you know, getting to see the church there now succeeding um, through what was at, at one point in my mind, a meaningless <laughs> decision about which hotel to choose. Um, it's been a real lesson to me. It's something I've never forgotten. Well, I remember our little quiet place that we found out in the provinces that we found that little pull-off area where we could you know the city was always so loud and even when you got out into the provinces near someone's home you had the chickens the dogs the kids the motos the there was so much noise and it was just a cacophony it seemed like wherever you went and so it was so hard you couldn't even go to your home and close the door and find peace because uh, a funeral procession would be projecting its loudspeaker into your bedroom window or you know those types of things and so it it felt impossible to find that kind of uh that that peace that, that silence but uh, there was a place that we found on the way to and from one of the men we would visit the families we would visit from time to time and uh it was about as far as we could get uh, ourselves away from the cacophony on either end the the boisterous sounds that you know were so pervasive uh, it was about as far as we could get from him. And yeah. uh, you could hear the wind. You could hear, you know, blowing through the rice plants. You could smell the rice. You couldn't smell any pollution from the city. Uh, it was just as clean and and pure a spot, I felt like, as I experienced there. So that's a, that's a, a fun, I, I will sometimes, you know, just think about that spot. So there's that. And then, you know, just hearing about the work that is going on there now, now that we're gone. It was always a desire for us that we would leave and not like get ourselves out. It was always uh, a very strong conviction that we held that there be, um, there be a, a leaving date so that this work could become self-sufficient and uh, depend on itself. And um, getting to hear now about the way that Brother Wani is using his his talents with people, his knowledge of the word and his experience, getting to see how he's making this work his own. And so I think that's another real highlight for me is getting to see, you know, the plan work, not our plan per se, but God's plan for his church um, has been a real personal highlight for me. Those are good. I have a lot of special memories too. Uh, but this is not my interview, so I won't share them at this time. Um, I guess to wrap it up, I'd like to ask you, so you guys moved back in June 2016, and you didn't even make it a year before you were called to go back out again, this time to South Korea, which is where you guys are living at currently. Talk to me about the time whenever you got back to the States and that reverse culture shock that you felt followed very quickly by... Uh, being called again to leave the country and move to South Korea? You know, in my job in the States as an orchestra director and, um, you know, working with instruments and kids and everything, 
you know, the concept of tuning is very important, making sure that your instrument is in tune. And as a bass player, I remember there was there were times that I would play certain literature on my instrument that required going up into what's called solo tuning, where you take the whole instrument and you tune all the pegs up a whole step. And so you read the music, you read the same music, you play it exactly the same way, but it's all a whole step higher, which basically means that the instrument speaks more clearly, it responds better, and uh, it's just a technique that's used for solo players. Well, whenever you come out of solo tuning or go into it, either way, you have there's quite a learning curve because now you're in some ways it feels like playing a different instrument and you're definitely hearing something very different the connection i make with that is that whenever we went to cambodia we had to totally retune our lives we had to retune the way we thought we had to retune the way we listened to people we had to retune the way that we you know spoke and lived and just everything that we did was done through this filter of of something that was different and then when we went back to the States, in preparing for that, I thought all that was going to be necessary was just, uh, you know, getting settled in, having a, having some barbecue and some apple pie, and I was going to be ready to go. But uh, as it turns out, we came back different people, tuned for a different lifestyle, tuned for a different culture, and tuned for a different purpose. And so... It was not it was not being back home. It was a new home all of a sudden. And uh, you know, I'm not saying that the country or the people in the states changed. We just came back different. The reverse culture shock is simply you're, you're having to reprogram yourself all over again. And in some ways, it's harder because you're trying to reprogram yourself for something that you thought was familiar and now is not so familiar. You know, the challenges of getting yourself back, the challenges of getting yourself back into those routines and things were monumental. We never did it, in fact, because, you know, as you said, we got the call um, to make a, a, a five-week visit here to South Korea, and it was during that visit um, that we were asked to make this a, a permanent move, at least for the time being. And so we went back to the States for about two months, try to put things back in boxes and get back over here. In some ways, you know, Brandy and I have agreed, I think, with each other that it was good that the call came sooner in the States because had we gotten more settled, there would have been even more work to do but to leave again. But in, in some ways, it felt like the landing gear on the plane never, it's like we touched down and we never stopped. You know, the plane just kept moving along and just picked up speed and lifted off the ground and we were on again because it all happened just so, so fast. Well, brother, that's, uh, I think, a good introduction, a healthy introduction to your work. I guess maybe your, the mental processes that have led you up to this moment at your work, I should say. The only comment I'd like to share um, maybe about coming back to the States, and this would be for anybody who's listening and wondering, you know, how, how, should, you, how should you interact with somebody that's uh, given up a few years of their life to live abroad, is if you're going to ask us how it went, then be prepared either for a very long answer or a very short answer because... You're asking us to sum up years of our life in a, hey, how'd it go? 
And the weight of that question gets heavier every time it's asked. Because if you're asking it quite casually, the way that I take it, I don't know how you and Brandy feel, but the way that Marissa and I always take it is when somebody casually asks, hey, how did those three years go? It's very hard for me to respond to that casually because that was three years of my life. But one of the ways that we can be supported, and I, I, I hope I'm speaking for you, one of the ways that you can be supported is to be interested in your life in more than a casual question of, hey, how, how's, your, how's the work going? Or, hey, how are you? Be prepared to talk about it for a little bit instead of just using it as that one conversation piece. Oh, I haven't seen you in a while. How'd it go? Um, you want to comment on that? Uh, yeah, happily. I'll share maybe a little bit of a dramatic example to, to make the point that you've already made. But, you know, if someone has just lost a loved one, uh, maybe a grandparent they've grown up with and known for, you know, decades, and I say, how are you doing uh, since, since you lost that family member? Or maybe it's someone even closer. But if I ask how you're doing, I have just brought up something that is deeply emotional, deeply personal, and brings to the forefront of your mind memories beyond anything you could count. Or, And so expecting you to be able to quickly say, I'm good. Oh, I'm bad. Uh, you know, that's such a loaded question. And so when people say, oh, how's Korea? Oh, how was it in Cambodia? It, it's hard for you or I or someone who's doing a work like this to read their intent and what their read their real interest. Uh, I try to put myself in people's shoes sometimes and understand where they're coming from because I can appreciate that they are trying to uh, share concern or demonstrate interest and things like that. It's also sometimes hard whenever people ask a question and maybe I've been aching for someone to ask and so I'm ready and I'm like, oh, <laughs> let's spend the night talking about it and then they go, oh, oh yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, see you later. <laughs> and it's almost like a wound has been opened and now you've got to seal it up again. And I'm, I'm using words like death and I'm using words like wounds and I'm, it makes it possibly sound like this is a, a negative thing. And that's not how I mean it at all. But whenever someone wants to touch on something that is so intensely personal, it can be hard to do that in a superficial way. Mm. And so um, it's, it's hard for those being asked but I understand how it can be a challenge for those who are asking. I'm appreciative that they asked, but uh, I think it needs to be where there's empathy and patience on both sides to be able to come to kind of a common understanding on, on those experiences. Yeah, that's true. Well, brother, this has been a very, very excellent way to spend an hour and a half with you. I'm grateful to know you, grateful for our work together. There's so much more that could be said. Um, I think we're scratching the surface. Maybe you can come back for a special 20-part series on <laughs> working together and some of the ups and downs that we've experienced. Um, but that's for another day. Lord willing, I'll see you next time. It's always a privilege, brother, and we look forward to it. I hope Bradley's life example is an encouragement for you to answer the Lord's call to serve. It certainly is to me. I said it last time, and I'll say it again because it's true. There are wonderful opportunities everywhere for everyone to serve the Lord and the Lord's church. There's one more thing about Bradley's interview that I want to share. 
I asked Bradley to comment on one of the songs he's written, and it just so happens to be the song that we're using in this episode. Can you tell me about the inspiration for writing it? I think I know a little bit just based on the lyrics of it, on your, what your intentions are, but I'd love for the author to explain to those who are singing it uh, why you took the time to write the song. I've already said that I, I came from a, a past that has always known about God. I was blessed to have a father who was always there, and so whenever I read in the Bible where it explains that God is our father, I had a physical... I had something to base that on, and that, that was meaningful to me. You know, in your interview with Wani, his experience was the exact opposite. He was drawn to the Father because he never had one. And so that, that can mean different things to different people. But, uh, you know, the beginning of the song starts with a question. It's looking up, are you there? I have never questioned whether God was there. But I know there are people who do. And the times in my life when I've needed him the most are the times that I feel like I need to look up and, and see him and be reminded that he's there. And so the song is looking, you know, my intent in the song was to kind of direct the focus of the singer from themselves up to God. It's definitely intended to be, intended to be a song of praise, but it's also a song of introspection, of looking at yourself and then it ends with, you know, a hopeful anticipation, not looking up in doubt, but looking up in hope. And it's rather than looking up and asking, are you there? It's looking up and it says, looking up so that when I go, you will meet me there. And so I think that change is something that we all have to, or we all experience in some way, but it's eventually where we need to end up is you know, that hopeful expectation that we have in being children of God and also knowing that it's okay to question God as long as we look, you know, eventually to Him for the answers, um, we'll find that He is there and uh, we can look up and, and see Him, you know, calling us home. Okay, so let's listen again to Bradley's song, Looking Up, one more time. You So 
such a beautiful song. You can find this version on Andrew Martin's SoundCloud or on the podcast page along with all the other songs of the week at pureandsimplebible.com. While you're there, check out the other podcast videos and study resources that are yours to use absolutely free. And I want to just say a special word about the workbooks that are available on the site. There's currently two that are available for free download, the Redemption Series and the Bible Series, and pretty soon there's going to be one on the church coming out. The Redemption Series is a great introduction to the gospel, and in the past month, uh, it has been an excellent study aid for a couple of people specifically who have uh, committed their life to Christ and obeyed the gospel, and they were baptized because of their interactions with this study series. It can help you as you minister with your friends and family as well. So check it out at the Pure and Simple Bible website under the study section, or rather under the study series section. So that's it for now. This is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you next time. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true.